And if you would, as you're uh, heading back to your seats, turn to 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3, we'll just start in verse 1 there. Um, this has been an exciting time here at Country Oaks. Uh, Celebration Sunday today, we've um, celebrated five baptisms. If you didn't figure it out, that was first service baptisms that we wanted to play for second service so you guys could experience and see and witness uh, what uh, um, was being proclaimed. We had two baby dedications that we didn't video first service. Um, Of course, we celebrated Lord's Supper. First service, we're going to celebrate Lord's Supper. Commissioning uh, six new deacons. It's amazing. Last week was a special time, too. We were commissioning uh, Jonathan and Liesel, our cross-cultural workers. I just want to say they made it safely to South Asia, and they are there. Um, I would ask you guys to keep them in prayer. Um, they, you know, we, the uh, radius who we're connected with always say it should hurt to sin. That's how connected the people to your church should be. It should hurt to sin, and it really did hurt to sin. We're excited for them, but, but we're going to miss them. Um, so pray for them that um, God does some amazing things in their lives as they are ministering in South Asia. Uh, next week, we're going to be starting... A new study in Exodus. I'm super excited for that. Um, I've been studying exorcist, er, er, not exorcist. <laughs> Exodus, which is different. <laughs> I'm excited. Uh, that could be a common mistake I make, too. Um, after the service day, if you want to buy a journaling uh, Bible, we have them here. They're just... I, I'm going to say it wrong every time now. Exodus, uh, with pages in there that you can take notes as we go through um, the book. I'm excited for that. Uh, but I do want to make a big announcement. I'm um, honored to be the one that gets to say this this morning. Uh, we, as a church, have completely paid off this building this week. Mm-hmm. I just want to be clear, that means we are 100% debt-free as a church. Yeah. I just want to thank you and all the faithful men and women that have been faithfully giving and tithing here and just been a part. I mean, this, this sanctuary was built by members of the church. Like, it's, it's crazy to think over this past 30 years, so many... Uh, men and women that have been a part of this church. I just want to say um, there's a lot of new families that have been uh, coming in the last few months. This is a special place. It really is. Um, I am blessed and honored to be a pastor here. And, uh, um, yeah. Today, uh, I do want to talk about church government, though. Um, how we operate really here at Country Oaks. Uh, and there's two reasons I want to do that this morning. First is because we're commissioning deacons, and I just want to talk what is a deacon and and why do we have that office here at Country Oaks. But second, there's so many new families that have been coming um, over the last year. Uh, I just want to give a time to talk about how we operate as a church. And so I want to look at two biblical offices that are prescribed and commanded in, in the scriptures to have within a church. And that's the office of elder and the office of deacon. Office of elder and office of deacon. So we'll start with the office of elder. If you would just read along with me, First Timothy three, starting in verse one, says this: 
The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if anyone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. I want you to just notice something as I read through those qualifications of an elder. They're all character issues. They're all character issues besides one thing, and that's able to teach. That's a skill, but more than that, it's actually a gifting by God, the gift of teaching. Besides able to teach... Every other qualification is a character issue of an elder. If you would, turn with me to Titus chapter 1, verse 5, because we're going to see a similar list. These are the pastoral epistles. They're Paul writing to two different pastors about pastors. And we find a, a very similar qualification of an overseer, of a, an elder. Titus 1, verse 5 says this. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife, and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery uh, or insubordination, for an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or a violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. In other words, not only must an elder or overseer be able to teach. But Paul adds, he needs to be able to rebuke those who contradict it, who contradict sound doctrine. In other words, again, able to teach and also rebuke false teaching. That's the job of a pastor. He is a pastor teacher, according to Ephesians 4.11. There's another observation I hope you made as I read through those two lists. The word pastor is not used in either of those lists. You notice that? Elder is used in Titus 1.5. It says this, This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders. Overseer is used in 1 Timothy 3.1. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer... So it leads to an important question we need to answer. What is the difference between elder, overseer, and pastor? And here's the answer. The name. It's really just three different names for the same office. It's three different names, in other words, for the same person or persons. 
want to look at these words. Elder is the word in Greek presbyteros, which is where we get the word Presbyterian from. Right, the denomination, Presbyterian denomination. It means a person of responsibility and authority in matters of religious um, concerns. It denotes an older person or someone mature in the faith. Overseer, which is sometimes translated bishop in scripture, is the Greek word um, epis, epi, or epis, uh, episkopos. Sorry. episkopos. It's where we get the word episcopalian from in the denomination. It means one that oversees or leads the church. And pastor is the word um, poimain. Pastor is really just Latin for the word shepherd. Someone that shepherds sheep. There are three titles for the same office, different names for the same person, in other words. Again, look at uh, 1 Timothy 3.1. It says this. The saying is trustworthy... If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, that's a episcopos, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer, this word again, must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, and so on. We go through the qualifications from there. Right? Same qualifications we see in Titus. Now I'll turn back to Titus 1.5. It says this in verse 5. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained in, into order and appoint elders. That's presbyteros. In every town, as I directed you, if anyone's above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of battery or insubordination. Look at verse 7. For an overseer, episcopos, as God's steward, must be above reproach. It's very clear for, for Paul, who was inspired by the Holy Spirit, who wrote the pastoral epistles, that elders and overseers are the same people. They're the same office. They're the same qualifications. But what about pastor? Well, First Timothy and Titus, as I've said, are pastoral epistles. They're written to pastors, about pastors. It's really the qualifications of pastors, too. And that's because a pastor, an elder, and an overseer are the same office. They're the same office. I just really want you guys to see this because it's super important how the church is ran. Turn with me to 1 Peter 5.1 because it's not just Paul that sees this as the same office. It's Peter who's inspired by the same Holy Spirit, the same ultimate author, God, who writes a very similar thing. 1 Peter 5 verse 1 says this, So I exhort the elders, that's presbyteros, among you. Right? Peter's talking to the elders. As fellow elder and a witness of the suffering of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd or pastor, that's point main, shepherd, pastor of the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, episcopos, overseer, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for selfish gain, but eagerly. In other words, in this passage, we see that the elders are also pastors. They're pastoring. They're also overseers. They're overseeing. One office, elder, pastor, overseer. Three titles, same office, same person. Well, why three titles then? 
It's an important question to ask. Why does the Bible have these three different titles for the same office? I believe it emphasizes three different aspects of the office. First, the title elder emphasizes the character of the person holding that office. In other, man, in other words, it's who the man is. Someone mature in the faith, not necessarily someone old in age, but someone mature in the faith. Overseer or bishop, it's translated either or in different translations, emphasizes the, the function, what the man does, in other words. He oversees the church. And pastor or shepherd emphasizes the attitude he should have. He oversees with love and care as a loving shepherd, shepherd's sheep. Side note, that's why we call our elder board the pastoral team. You'll hear us use that back and forth, our pastoral team and elder board. I really challenged our elder board to start using that term pastoral team to help us understand that pastors and elders are the same office. Pastor is an elder, an elder is a pastor according to scripture. Now many churches separate their elder board and pastoral team. Many churches see their pastors as the the ones that get up and preach and counsel and teach and do weddings and marriages and baptize and, and do the Lord's Supper. And they see the elders as more like trustees, kind of separate. They oversee the church. They mostly deal with the finances, and they keep the pastors accountable for what they're supposed to do. I just want to be clear. I think this is unbiblical. I don't want to be judgmental. If you come from a church that that works that way, I'm just saying from what I see in Scripture, elder, pastor, and overseer are the same office. In other words, your elder board is your pastoral team. Your pastoral team is your elder board. Not only that, the Bible teaches that there should be a plurality of elders at a church. James, I'm going to go through a couple uh, verses real quickly. You can just see them on the screen here. But James 5.14 says this, Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders. That's plural. It's plural in the Greek. The elders of the church, singular. And let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And I just want to say, we do this often. Those that are sick within the body here at Country Oaks, we bring the elders together and we anoint them with oil and we pray over them. Acts 14.23 says this, And when you had appointed elders, that's plural, elders, plural, for them in every church, singular, with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. In the greeting of Philippians, Paul wrote, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus that are at Philippi, that's one church, one church in Philippi, with the overseers, plural, and deacons, plural. Plurality of overseers, a plurality of deacons. In Acts 20, Paul called the elders, plural, of the church, singular. This church was Ephesus. He called the elders of that one church to come and meet with him. So he was passing through. In 1 Peter 1, 5, it says this, so I exhort, we just read this, so I exhort the elders, plural, plurality of elders, the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the suffering of Christ, as well as a partaker of, and the glory that is going to be revealed 
shepherd the flock. That was, that's what the plurality of elders should do, shepherd the flock. As among you, exercising oversight. Plurality of elders that shepherd and oversee the church. In Titus 1.5, which we read a number of times already, this is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order. And I just wanted to tell you the context here is the churches in Crete were a mess. And Titus had the, the task of going and putting them in order and appoint elders, plural, in every town, singular, one church in every town, appoint elders, a plurality of elders, as I have directed you. In other words, I want you to think about that. For the church, for these churches that are a mess, the first step of being put in order is to have a plurality of elders overseeing the church. It was one of the first tasks that Titus was given to go into town after town to find men, to train men, to be elders, to be a plurality of elders overseeing the church. For a church to be a faithful church, it needs a plurality of elders shepherding, pastoring, and overseeing that church. And if there aren't qualified men in the church, and we read the list of qualifications, if there's not qualified men in the church, we need to send missionaries like Timothy and Titus to go and raise up men, to disciple men to leave the church. In fact, that was the task of Timothy. 2 Timothy 2.2 says this, and what you, this is Paul talking to Timothy, and what you have, have heard from me, Paul, everything that you've learned from me under my discipleship, in the presence of many witnesses, and trust to faithful men. In other words, go and disciple men in this church, raise them up, who will be able to teach others also. In other words, they'll become elders of that church and be able to teach others within the church. Titus was a, or Timothy was a sort of missionary that was going to a church. For us at COBC, we have a pastoral team. Our main job is to pray, to teach, to visit the sick, to anoint, to pray over the sick, to oversee the church. We have a plurality of elders, and we are blessed. I say this about the other seven men on the elder board. We have a plurality of wisdom on the elder board, too. And it's come out. Um, I'm just bragging about everyone there. We needed this wisdom this last year. I'm thankful for every single person that's on that elder board. We look at each other as co-equals. In other words, we move in. I never say this word right. Unanimity. Unanimity. It's an important word we use, and I never say it. This is like that one word. In other words, what's that mean? In other words, we don't move forward as an elder board unless we all agree 100%. It's not voting. We all must agree because we all have the same spirit. And the Holy Spirit must be pulling on all of our hearts to move a certain direction or go a certain way as a church. So if one person says, I don't think we should go that way, we don't move. We pray about it. We wait. The COBC, again, we have eight, eight elders. There's me and Craig who are vocational pastors full-time. We have six other elders, Mike Owens, Mike Boisier, Will Greer, Ross Amato, Jim Davis, and Mike, er, Matt Beiswinger. I'm thankful for each one of these men. It's just amazing to me as we were doing Celebration Sunday, first service and second service. This is, I think, the first Celebration Sunday that I, I'm doing nothing but preaching today. And we have elders doing everything else, pastoring and eldering. Amazing. So that's the office of elder. I want to look at the office of deacon and hopefully we'll get out 
at some point today. We'll be quick. The Office of Deacon. This is one of the reasons we wanted to talk about, in fact, one of the reasons we want to talk about the office of elders, and and that's because we're commissioning deacons today, and deacons and elders are closely related if you look at scripture. So let's just look at deacons. A Greek word for deacon is dekonenos, which is um, where we get the word deacon from. It means literally servant, minister, or assistant. Used 29 times in the New Testament. The ESV and the NASV translate them pretty much the same. 19 times it's used as servant. I think it's just applying a servant. It's not necessarily talking about the office of deacon. It's just saying this person is a servant. Seven times it says minister. And three times it's transliterated deacon. Implying, it's transliterated, implying that this is talking about the office of deacon. And that's only three times in scriptures. And two of those three times is found in 1 Timothy chapter 3. So if you would, turn to 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 8 now. We'll finish where we started, the elders. There's two things I want to look at uh, when it comes to deacons. The first is this, the character of a deacon. We're going to spend most of our time there. And second, the office of a deacon. In other words, what are the duties of a deacon? Right? The character first place I want to start. And the interesting thing about this, and as I've studied what is a deacon, I find this super interesting. There is way more about the character of a deacon. I mean, way more in scripture about the character of a deacon than the office of a deacon. In other words, than what a deacon does. I think that says something. Really, I think it says two things, that um, the church uses wisdom in how it should use its deacon and deacons, and there might be disagreements in different churches in how they use their deacons. There's, there's room for wisdom in how a deacon should operate within the church. But more importantly, character is so important. In fact, one theologian put it this way, biblically speaking, the emphasis of the office of deacon is not organizational structure, in other words, what he does but on the moral integrity, the spiritual maturity, and the doctoral purity of those who serve in an official capacity. So let's look at verse 8. It says this, Deacons likewise must be dignified. Some of your translations say worthy of respect or men of dignity. It's uh, simos in the Greek, um, which is really a hard word to translate from my understanding and studying this word. Um, it's a combination of two ideas, and we just don't have an English word that, that grasps this word. It's a combination of two ideas. One is gravity or weight, weightiness, right? There's a seriousness in purpose, in other words. They understand the gravity or the, the weight of the Christian faith, the duty of what we're called to do as Christians. And that's a combination of gravity with dignity. They're respectable in their conduct. Again, verse 8 says this, Deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued. In other words, trustworthy, not two-faced. Double-tongued is saying one thing to one person while saying something completely different to someone else. It's like a crooked politician, right? I didn't say all politicians. I said crooked politicians. Insincere in what they say. Hypocritical in what they say. Saying one thing and doing something else again. I'm not going to say names. Politicians. Deacons should char- should be characterized as the opposite of double tongue. Sincere in their words. 
trustworthy. Because, and this is important, because truth matters. Listen, in our culture, and I joke around about politicians, but the reason why politicians are like that today, or news, or anyone that's in the public eye, is because truth doesn't matter in our culture anymore. Narrative is way more important than truth. Truth is downplayed, but truth matters in the church. So when we speak, we should be trustworthy in what we say. Not double-tongued. Not addicted to much wine. Not someone that's known as a drunk or a drunkard. Or again, addicted to much wine. But instead a man that's sober-minded, self-controlled, and spirit-filled. Ephesians 4, or 5, 18. Not greedy for dishonest gain. Right? In other words, someone that's not motivated out of a love of money. 1 Timothy 6, 10 says this. For the love of money, not money, but the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil. And some, by longing for it, have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. It's a very important qualification for a deacon, especially because throughout church history, deacons have often collected and handled money and distributing money to those in need, and that's true for our church. Verse 9 says they must hold the mysteries of the faith with a clear conscience. Holding the mysteries of the faith means that they understand and hold the sound doctrine, even the, the deep truths of the faith. With a clear conscience means that they live out their beliefs. You know, and I would take that a step further. It just means that they actually, truly believe what they say they believe. So if you truly believe it, you'll live it out. Your actions will, will show you what you believe more than what you say you believe. So deacon needs to be someone that lives out their beliefs. Verse 10. And let them also be tested for, or tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Let them be tested first. The Greek word for tested means a critical examination or a, a to determine genuineness or to be put to the test or to examine. And that's a good just translation or understanding to examine. In other words, they must be, be a time of examination. One of the reasons we have a 30-day evaluation for the church to examine these men to evaluate the candidates. Verse 11. Their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanders, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Now I want to be really honest with verse 11. There, this is a very debated verse in Scripture. And here's why. The possessive pronoun or the personal pronoun there is not in the Greek. Their, their wives. That there is not in the Greek. And the word translated wives is gune, which literally means woman. It can mean wives if, if, if context allows that. But a more literal translation would look something like this. Women must likewise. So the NASB, I think, really captures the more literal translation. It says this in the NASB, verse 11, women must likewise be dignified and so forth. Because of that, and because of this more literal translation, verse 11, some people take it as not talking about wives, but instead female deacons. And many church, churches have deaconesses. So I think there's room to disagree on this. Um, I, and I, I say this... Uh, I've heard both sides of the argument, and I'm, I'm not, and our elder board is not convinced that this is talking about women deaconesses. 
But there also is a strong argument for that. I just want to be clear on that. We don't, we don't, we're not convinced with this argument. I don't want to get into all the details why we're not. I'd love to talk with you if you uh, want to dive in a little deeper on why that is. Therefore, all of our deacons are men. We believe verse 11 is most likely talking about the deacon's wife. So I think the ESV better captures the meaning of the verse, which says this in verse 11. Their wives, the deacon's wives, likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Verse 12. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife. In other words, must be faithful and devoted to his wife. Managing their children and their households well. Their households must be put in order, in other words. Why? Why is that important? Well, look at verse 5. This is the qualifications of elders, and it explains why the the household is so important. Verse 5, For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he um, care for God's church? One commentary put it this way, Deacon must prove his character by being faithful to his own wife and, by extension, to the rest of his family. If a man loves his wife and disciplines his children and leads his home, he evidences that he is filled with the Spirit. Here again, the home is the proving ground for ministry. That's the character of a deacon. A deacon must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain, one who holds to sound doctrine and lives it out, having a wife that's not a slanderous, not, uh, uh, but instead sober-minded, faithful in all things. He must be a husband of one wife who manages his household well. And you might be thinking as I go through that list, well, I'm glad I'm not becoming a deacon. <laughs> it's a, quite the list. And for those that are we're standing up here, you might be thinking, what am I getting myself into? Right? Listen, when it comes to deacons and elders... We are not looking for perfect men. In fact, if we were looking for perfect men, we wouldn't find any deacons or elders. <laughs> we are looking for men that are characterized by these lists. They're characterized by these lists. They're not perfect. But that's their character. So what does a deacon do? That's the character of a deacon. I want to be honest. There's really not much in Scripture... It's mostly about the character of a deacon more than what a deacon does. I want to make a few observations that lead us the right direction as a church on what the office of deacon does. And and firstly, I want to make the observation that deacons are closely connected to elders. They're closely connected to elders. In fact, Philippians 1.1 again says this, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi with the overseers and deacons. Paul addresses the overseers and deacons because they're closely connected, elders and deacons. And just think of 1 Timothy 3. I just read through the first 13 um, verses. Verses 1 through 7 is the qualification of an elder, and right after that, 8 through 13 is the qualifications of a deacon. Verse 8 even starts like this. Deacons likewise, that word likewise points back to the office of overseer really points back to verse 1 which says if anyone aspires to the office of overseer he desires a noble task there's a close connection between deacons and elders theologian Richard uh, 
Mayhew says this about 1 Timothy 3. The implication is that deacons described in verses 8 through 13 occupy a recognized office in the church, just as the elders do. As the elders lead the church, they are assisted in their ministry by the deacons. Again, one of the word or translation of deacons, one of the meanings of that word deacons in Greek is assistant. Assistant. Elders and deacons are closely connected. Elders are assisted in the ministry by the deacons. When you think, too, of the list of qualifications, the list of qualifications between an elder and deacon are almost identical. Again, closely connected, are almost identical besides one major difference. Teaching. In verse 2 it says, able to teach. He must, the elder must have a gifting of teaching. Again, Titus 1.9, he, this is the overseer, elder, or pastor, must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he might be able to give instruction in sound doctrine. In other words, able to teach and also to rebuke those who contradict it. Qualification of a deacon is exactly the same minus able to teach. Therefore, the gift of teaching, the skill and gift of teaching is not a qualification. It's not a prerequisite. I'll be clear on this because we have men that are deacons that clearly have the gift of teaching. Just because it's not a qualification doesn't mean deacons can't teach or don't have the gifting of teaching. Again, some of our deacons have the gifting of teaching for sure, and they should teach if they have that gifting. It's not a qualification. It's not a prerequisite. In fact, there's some on the deacon um, that are deacons in our church that don't necessarily have that gifting and would be very intimidated to get in front of people to teach. It's not a prerequisite. It's not a qualification. So what do deacons do then? Well, turn with me to Acts 6. We're just about done. Acts 6. Verse 1 says this. Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists. Let me just be clear. That's the Greek-speaking Jews. The church at this point was only Jews, but there was Greek-speaking Jews and there were Hebrew-speaking Jews. There was a complaint by the Hellenists. The Greek-speaking Jews arose against the Hebrews. Now, that, that's a major argument right there. Half the church is Greek-speaking, half the church is speaking Hebrew. An argument comes up because their widows, it says, were being neglected in daily distribution. Now, I want to say that's, that's a big deal. It's a big deal for two reasons. First, widows were being neglected. That's important. Second, the church was showing favoritism very young church that was showing favoritism, partiality, and we've talked about that. That's a major sin, just by, by what language people were speaking. Look at verse 2. And the twelve, that's the apostles, summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. Now, I'm going to be clear because I think this is mistaken. These seven men that were picking, picked weren't necessarily deacons. 
There's a number of reasons why I say that. I believe Acts 6, um, in this time period, is a special place in the redemptive history of the church. I do believe, though, Acts 6 anticipates the office of deacon. In other words, these seven men were like prototypes of deacons. You can learn about the office of deacon, in other words, from Acts 6. And so, these seven men helped or assisted the apostles accomplish an administrative task in much the same way that deacons ought to assist elders in a local church so that the elders can remain focused on their primarily, primary spiritual responsibilities of preaching, teaching, and praying. I want you to think about this. Look at verse 2 again. It says this, And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. In other words, the preaching of the word of God is too important to give up. Remember the context here. A major argument. Widows being neglected. Partiality within the church that threatens the church from splitting even. And this is what the apostles said. It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, verse 3, Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, and we will appoint to this duty. These men were picked to assist the apostles so the apostles can continue preaching and proclaiming the good news and praying for the church as they lead the church. In a very similar way, deacons are to assist the elders of the church in service so that the elders can focus on their primary spiritual responsibilities of teaching, preaching, and praying. The office of deacons is extremely important here at COBC. Extremely important. Our deacons directly deal with those in need. It's important task of the church is dealing with those in need. First, to, to, to our church, to those in need within our church, especially widows. And second, to the community of Tehachapi. Extremely important. In fact, James 1.27 says this, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their afflictions and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Responsibilities of a biblical elder and overseer is to lead the church, exercise oversight, to preach and teach, to guard the church from false teachings, and to pray. The responsibilities of a biblical deacon are to work closely with the elders, to assist the elders in the ministry, to serve those in need, especially widows and orphans. I'd ask if you would pray for the leadership of the church. I don't think 2020, in my personal opinion, was a fluke. I think it's the direction we're heading as a culture. And there's going to be a lot of hard decisions that are going to have to be made by the leaders of the church. I'd ask that you would pray for the elders. I'd ask that you would pray for the deacons. That we can continue to minister to those in need through the ministries of the deacons. I'd ask you, in particular, this week to pray for these six men. I, I think Ross is exactly right. The devil will attack. Whenever someone starts, stands up in leadership, the devil comes, attacks. He'll attack the man, he'll attack his wife, he'll attack his family. Pray for protection of these deacons. 
I'm thankful for these men. Michael, all three of them. Michael Anderson, Anderline, and Mike Elliott. Bo Beasley, Matt Lee, Tyler Shyrock. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, Lord, we thank you for showing us how the church should be organized, Lord. What these offices are, the office of elder, overseer, and pastor, Lord. The task that you've given us to preach the word, to teach, to proclaim the good news, Lord. To pray, to oversee the church. I thank you for the office of deacon, Lord. Who assists the elders, who, who serve, Lord, within the body. And these men, Lord, that, that are on the, the deacon board, Lord, they are servants. I'm thankful for each and every one of them. The old ones and the new ones, Lord. God, I pray that, that you are just with them, you're protecting them, that they serve our body, Lord, and the community in a godly way. Lord, be with us as a church, Lord, as inevitably there's going to be attacks from Satan, Lord, from the, from the culture, from the world. Just protect us, Lord, as a church, and I pray that we always look to your word and how to move forward in every step that we take, Lord. In your son's name, amen.